All right, join with me in prayer. Father, we do thank you this morning. God, you're the author of life. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, without whom there is no variableness nor changing. We praise you this morning, God, for your constancy. You promised to provide the sun that shines upon the earth and the rain that that falls to the ground. And Lord, the fruit of the, the fields, everything, Lord, that you give to nourish and to take care of our physical needs. And Lord, for the nourishment that you give for our soul, and you feed us, Lord, with the word of God. And we're thankful for the living word, Christ, manifest in the flesh. The one, the one to whom we offer our praise this morning. Lord, we were never worthy, could never be worthy to be in your presence. But by your mercy and grace, you have called us to yourself. And Lord, the simplicity of the gospel is such a beautiful thing. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, men make it difficult. Men put a lot of obstacles in the way. Men distort the truth of the beauty of the gospel of Christ. But Lord, we cherish it. And we're thankful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit who brought us to the place of realization that we are sinners who need Jesus. I pray God many more would understand that message and turn to Christ, receive complete forgiveness of their sins, and the assurance of eternal life. We just ask you now, Lord, to bless the ministry of your word to each and every heart present. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we have a second date with the prophets, the prophets of Israel. Somebody told me that, you know, Coming to church here is a little bit like going back to school. And I take that as a compliment because pastors are to be teachers. We're to educate people in the Word of God. And sometimes the message is a little different. And uh, sometimes it's just more informational than normal. And this is one of those messages. But we'll get to little practical things at the end. But what I, my desire, one of my desires in preaching is just to stir your heart up to study the Word of God to create in you an interest in the things that you may not know all that well. And for most people, the subject of the, the prophets of Israel is, is a subject that they, they don't know very well. So I'm going to put a little picture of a book up here. And this is by Leon Wood. And I put these for your education. If you're, if you're looking to buy something, a gift for somebody, this would be a good book to get. The prophet is, I have his history book on the Old Testament, Leon Wood. I didn't read this particular book, but uh, I know the writer, and you'd be blessed. So if you want a further study, there you go. Now, I did preach on uh, the prophets of Israel last Sunday as part of the series on Israel and the plan of God. And we looked at the foundation of the prophetic ministry in Deuteronomy chapter 18. We saw Israel's call to be separate from the heathen nations that were all around them. They were forbidden also to seek occult knowledge and assured that God would grant them the knowledge that they needed to know, not by these occultic practices, but by divine revelation through the Hebrew prophets, who were men, who holy men of God, who spoke as they were born along, the word really means, by the Holy Spirit. He sees their personalities and the things that they wrote were the words of God. Hosea 12, 13 says, By a prophet the Lord is brought Israel out of Egypt, and by a prophet he was preserved. And then we looked at this verse in Deuteronomy 18, 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among the brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth. And that's the key to understanding what a prophetic ministry was. And he will speak to them all that I commanded him. Was forbidden to speak anything more? was forbidden to speak anything less but all the words that God put in his mouth. We saw that there were two tests given for distinguishing a false prophet from a true prophet. The true prophet, number one, must speak in the name of Yahweh, the Lord. And those speaking in the name of other gods 
were to be executed. Secondly, if a prophet predicted, if what a prophet predicted came to pass, he was a, a true prophet. But there are some qualifications to that. If it failed, he was a false prophet who spoke presumptuously. We looked at Deuteronomy 18.20. The prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other, other gods, even that prophet shall die. So there was a death sentence pronounced upon false prophets in that day. Thank goodness there's no that's not in force today, right? Because we have a lot of uh, false prophets in uh, Christendom at large who would no longer be with us because uh, they were false prophets. Jeremiah 14, 14 says, Then the Lord said unto me, The prophets prophecy lies in my name. I sent them not, neither have I commanded them, neither spoke unto them. They prophecy unto you a false vision and divination, a thing of nothing and the deceit of their heart. So they were prophesying lies because the father of lies gave them the message that they had received. And it was the deceit of their own heart. Jeremiah, the same prophet in chapter 17 in verse 9, he uh, spoke a verse that we all know, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And that is a truth that's borne out every day in the lives of the people of this world. Well, I want to begin with the early pre-canonical prophets. Canonical means writing, right? With the books of the canon, the books of the Bible. I'm not going to say too much about this, but the pre-canonical prophets, the term generally refers to those who came before the 9th century BC. And it would include people like, and this is not an exhaustive list, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. But then we look next at the Mosaic period, the prophets of the Mosaic period. The, the Exodus from Egypt, 1440 BC, is the date that I follow. And we talked about this last week. Moses was the first great Hebrew prophet who performed many miracles, and he authored the Pentateuch. Pente Pentateuch comes from the word penta, meaning five. The first five, five verses of the Bible are the Pentateuch. In the Mosaic period, we also have Aaron as a prophet. We have Miriam, the prophetess, and then later Joshua. Exodus 15.20, and Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and dances. So Miriam was a prophetess. Uh, she was a songwriter. But one thing negative that we could say about her, and we all know this, she became covetous of Moses' position of authority over the nation of Israel. And as a result, she became a leper. God judged her with leprosy, and she was put outside the camp for seven days. Now, what did was she a leper for seven days? I don't think so. I think because of Moses' intercession, she was healed instantly, but she had to be outside the camp because she had a leprous condition for seven days. Interestingly, she never made it to the promised land as well. Now, prophetesses are not a frequent occurrence in Scripture. There are 470 occurrences of the word prophet in the Bible and only nine occurrences of the word prophetess. Then you come to the period of Samuel. We read about Samuel's calling here in the, this our Bible reading today. The period of Samuel, 931 B.C. to 1050 B.C., if you're interested in dates. Samuel was the first great prophetic successor of Moses. And after Moses, all communication from God would come through prophetic revelation, sometimes in dreams and visions. Moses was the only one, the Bible says, who was in an exclusive category and basically spoke with God face to face. But Samuel received a divine commission you have on your notes for the reorganization of the nation from the role of judges to the rule of kings. It says in 1 Samuel 3.1, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days, which means it was rare. There was no open or widespread 
vision or revelation. So God had called Samuel to fulfill this task of bringing the word of God to Israel. It says in 1 Samuel 3.20, And all Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. So what was his role? Well, he guided the nation from a theocracy, which means rule under God, to a monarchy, which means rule under a king. So Samuel was the kingmaker. First and second Samuel form one book in your Bible. Though they are named after the prophet Samuel, Samuel did not write the books of first and second Samuel. He was not the author. He never claimed to be the author. Chapter 8. Pardon? I'm back. 1 Samuel 8.1 tells us that Samuel was already an old man at that time. Not that old men don't have some good things to say, right? Once in a while we do. But during Samuel's life, the prophets became an organized institution. There were prophetic bands, B-A-N-D-S, we call groups or guilds, some theologians call them. And it appears that Samuel led the school of prophets, an actual school of prophets, at a place called Naoth, which was near Ramah, Ramah where he lived. In 1 Samuel 19, it says, And David fled and escaped, and he came to Samuel to Ramah. And told him all that son Saul had done to him. Saul was after his life. And he and Samuel went and dwelt in Naoth. And it was told Saul, saying, Behold, David is at Naoth in Ramah. Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company, which means the band of the prophets prophesying, that lived there near Ramah, Naoth, and Samuel standing as appointed over them. So there you have Samuel, the leader of a school of prophets. And it says the Spirit of God was upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And that was very interesting. So they, they, they go there, really, after, after uh, David, and, and they fall into the company of this band of prophets and then the, the Spirit of God seizes them, and they began to speak utterances. They began to prophesy. And then Saul goes there after this, if you continue reading in 1 Samuel 19. And he has the same experience. So God was interrupting their plans in a, in a pretty dramatic way. Well, what do we mean by prophet? Generally speaking, we're talking about someone who speaks for God. In the Holman Bible Dictionary, it says, although the biblical record is scant, it seems that Samuel may have found a center or school at Ramah, Naoth, Naoth, to train young men in prophetic service. Later, during the time of Elijah and Elisha, schools existed at Bethel and Jericho and possibly Gilgal where these men were called the sons of the prophets. And you could read about that in 2 Kings chapter 2 and 2 Kings chapter 4. They were called the sons of the prophets, not in a literal sense, but basically meaning disciples or the students of the prophets. Same Bible Dictionary says, the training of these religious leaders was to serve as a barrier against corruption and to protect the nation by furnishing it with men qualified to act as leaders and counselors to the nation in the fear of God. Prophets spoke the word of God. And many times they spoke the word of God very boldly in the face of people who did not want to hear the word of God. They were primarily God's spokespersons who continuously called the people to obedience. back to the stipulations of the Mosaic Covenant. So there were prophetic schools, and they learned the Word of God. Not to be outdone by Samuel, or Moses, or Elijah, 
or Isaiah, Bethel Church Reading held a school of the prophets last July. I did not go. Here's the advertisement. School of the Prophets is a one-week intensive training school where you'll gain an understanding of the gift of prophecy and the office of the prophet, find confidence in your prophetic identity, and get equipped and deployed into your divine destiny to influence kings and be empowered as a prophetic reformer to change the course of history. All of that for $450. This is the kind of nonsense that's going on in the church today. I'll show you a picture of a classroom. That's not at Bethel Reading. That's a room in the Newell K. Whitney store in Kirkland in which the School of the Prophets, founded by Joseph Smith, the false prophet who founded the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So Satan has his counterfeits everywhere. What God raises up, he opposes. It is also interesting prophetess, one was Deborah. Deborah had the, the unique calling to be both a judge and a prophet like Samuel. And she was mightily used of God at a time when everyone was doing what was what? Right in their own eyes, the cycle of judges. But non-canonical prophets, I want to speak briefly about them. Non-canonical means they did not write. They were non-literary. They did not leave us a record. And they included Elijah, Elisha, Nathan, Gad, Elijah, men like that. Now, what, we, what do we know about Elijah and Elisha? They were, the, they were the two great miracle-working prophets in addition to Moses. But interestingly, neither one of them wrote a book. Neither one of them wrote a book. But because of their position and influence, they addressed the particular sins of individual kings. That's what they were called to do for the most part. We do know this. Elijah performed eight miracles. And Elisha, how many? Sixteen. Twice as many. Second Kings 2.9. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, he's going to pass the baton on to him, ask what I may do for you before I am taken away from you. And Elisha said, please, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Ask and you shall receive, right? So Elijah performed eight miracles, and Elisha, a double portion, performed 16 miracles. And these are some of the little interesting things in the Bible that sometimes we, we don't catch. Then we have the canonical writing prophets. These were the literary prophets. Their books have been preserved. We have four major prophets and 12 minor prophets. And the books of the four major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, were called major because of the length of the books. The 12, the 12 minor book, prophet books were written between 8th century BC and the 5th century BC, as well as the four major prophets. Now, Elijah and, and, and uh, Elisha, and Elijah, they were they were called to speak to the kings for the most part. But when you get to the, the minor prophets and Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, those four, they they addressed the nation on a corporate level. So the attention was drawn away from individual ministry to kings for the most part. And they were speaking about the national sins of the people. And the major concern of these prophets in Israel was. Israel's relationship to Yahweh as defined by the Mosaic Covenant. So they were always bringing them back to what God had revealed to them on Mount Sinai. As a matter of fact, in the last prophetical book in the Old Testament, Malachi wrote this in chapter 4, verse 4, Remember the law of Moses. So after everything had happened, and you know, you'd be going into the silent years between the Testaments. What does Malachi say? Remember the law of Moses. My servant, which I commanded him in Oreb for all Israel with statutes and judgments. Boy, we need to remember, right? 
how easily we forget. How easily we forget the things that that we have learned. How easily forget the things that we have observed. How easily we forget the good examples that God has given to us in the lives of godly Christian men and women. How easily we forget his word. So these prophets preach covenant stipulations, the dues found in the Mosaic law, and they rebuked the nation for covenant violations. They were the Lord's prosecutors, if you would. But they also offered comfort and pardon. They offered a, a, a way back to God, a way back to, to the path of blessing, to an intimate relationship with God, if the line that God had drawn was not crossed. Sometimes there was not a way back. And the only recourse was judgment. And we'll be talking about that in the future. So, a study of the prophets. It's rewarding, but it's hideous. Sometimes there's difficult language to try to figure out. It's, it's a tough assignment to take. Someone wrote, reading the prophets is a strain on the emotions. You know, they, they'll take you from highs to lows. And, you know, they, they spoke the word of God, but you see the human emotion. Remember what we talked about, the pathos, the passion coming out of the, of the prophets. And they lived various different types of lifestyles, actually. Isaiah was a great writing prophet. We know that. Who doesn't love the book of Isaiah, even if you don't understand it all, right? But he, but he performed only one miracle. But he spoke for God, and this is interesting. God calls prophets to different things. Some performed miracles, some didn't. So he didn't perform any miracles, just but one. But he spoke for God in Judah under four kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And actually, the New Testament writers quoted Isaiah more than 90 times. So that's how significant the book of Isaiah is. We need to remember it. But here's his only miracle, 2 Kings chapter 20. And you could read there with me if you want. And if you, if you go to 2 Kings chapter 20, then it, it begins with verse 1. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. All right, so here's a king of Judah who was sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord. So that's the, 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 the hallmark words of a prophet. Thus saith the Lord. Set your house in order, for you will die. You shall not die, for thou shalt die and not live. Then he turned his face to the wall, and he prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech you, O Lord. Remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. Not, not entirely. No, one, no one's perfect. No one does everything just the way God wants us to do. But he had a repentant heart and, and he loved God. And like Nehemiah, he could say, God, remember me for the good that I have done. And that's a very valid biblical prayer. And it says, and Hezekiah wept sore, profusely. And it came to pass, before Isaiah was gone out into the middle of the court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again now, and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, thus saith the Lord. Thank God for that God doesn't always, you know, leave us in a condition without mercy. And God hears our prayers. So here's what he says. Thus saith the Lord, the God of David, thy father, I have heard thy prayer. Listen, I don't know how many prayers you've prayed. I just pray, you know, I want to say continuously. But I just, I just pray an awful lot all throughout the day. I don't know how many prayers I've uttered. God's heard every one. 
Everyone doesn't get the answer that I would like. Maybe in due time, some answers will come that I've prayed for a long time. I have heard thy prayer. Brothers and sisters, that is an encouragement to pray. And there is power in prayer. There's, there's power when you are alone with God in your prayer closet, using that figure of speech. And there is power in corporate prayer. And this is why I invite you to come out to pray. God has always, always commanded his people to pray. To pray alone when no one is watching and to pray together. I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. Thank God, right? How many tears have you shed? Most of the tears we've shed in our lives is because of what sin has wrought in this world. You know, there's tears of joy, but most mainly a lot of tears of hardship. So God hears our prayers and God sees our tears, which means he knows our every hurt. I will heal thee on the third day, and thou shalt go up into the house of the Lord. And this is exactly what God did. And then if you jump down to verse 8, and Hezekiah said to Isaiah, what is the sign? You know, all good and well, right? Words are one thing. But what is the sign that the Lord is going to heal me? And that I will go up to the house of the Lord the third day. And Isaiah said, This is the sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing which he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward ten degrees or go backward ten degrees? And Hezekiah answered, It is an easy thing for the shadow to go down ten degrees. No, but let the shadow go backward ten degrees. So Isaiah the prophet cried out to the Lord, and here's his only miracle. And he brought the shadow 10 degrees backward by which it had gone down on the sundial of Ahaz. I mean, not necessarily a, a dramatic miracle like parting the Red Sea, but it was pretty dramatic for Hezekiah, right? Jeremiah, he's another one of the well-known prophets of the Old Testament. He was the weeping prophet. He was the persecuted prophet. He was the pouting prophet, and he was the reluctant prophet. And he wasn't the first nor the last of those categories. Sometime compare Jeremiah to Jonah. Right? Neither one of them wanted the assignment. Daniel. Daniel's amazing. You really can't properly understand the book of Revelation without the foundation of the book of Daniel. Daniel the prophet predicted the rise and the fall of four empires. Babylon, Greece, the Medes, the Persians, and the Romans. He predicted the coming of the Antichrist, the near Antichrist in Antiochus Epiphanes, and then the Antichrist in the distant future who Antiochus foreshadowed. And he talked about the eventual kingdom of God. In Daniel's prophecy of 70 weeks is the prediction of Christ's first coming, his crucifixion, and then ultimately the time when righteousness will come to the earth and the Messiah of Israel will set up his kingdom upon this earth. So the prophets wrote of future events. And typically when we think of prophetic ministry, that's what we think about. Well, yeah, they made all these wonderful predictions in the Bible, and they all came to pass. So they did write about future events, but not as much as we may think. I told you there was a great book I'm going to recommend it again. I think it's in the fourth edition, or maybe even further. Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. I don't have a picture of it. But one of the men who is written now in that book in the fourth edition, because Gordon Fee died recently, Douglas Stewart is still an amazing scholar. He knows about eight languages pretty proficiently. Um, I mean, even ancient texts. But one, one of the men I saw writing about this book or commenting on this book was Mark Strauss. I, I knew Mark Strauss. Um, I had him for a number of classes. He got his doctorate in Aberdeen. And he just commended this book. He says it was a privilege for them to ask me to write on the fourth edition or whatever it was of this work. 
And he says, it was the book that changed my life about how I saw the Bible. So that's a pretty amazing statement. It was a book, he says, that led me to take the word of God very seriously and give my life to the study of it. How to read the Bible for all it's worth. And here's what they wrote in this book. We can look at the Old Testament prophecy and see that while there are predictions in there, most of it was not foretelling, but forthtelling. Big difference. Foretelling is predicting the future. Forthtelling is just going forward with the word of God, reproving, rebuking, exhorting like a pastoral ministry with all long suffering and doctrine. So here's what they say. The prophets enforcing were called to enforce the covenant in Israel. What they teach us, though, is more in the category of forthtelling than foretelling. And they say this. Less than 2% of the Old Testament prophecy is messianic. Less than 5% specifically describes the new covenant age. Less than 1% concerns events yet to come in our time. That means that nine-tenth of these books are not prophetic as we would think of them. They did announce the future, but it was the immediate future of Israel, Judah, and the other nations surrounding them that they announced rather than our future. In other words, most of what they were declaring was God's laws, and that's really true when you read the bulk of it, the blessings for following God, the curses for not following God, the rebuke of the sins, the call to repentance. So they were speaking to their contemporaries. Now, we don't have prophets doing that today. We don't have no prophetic ministry today. We have, we have a pastoral ministry today. So the pastors stand in the, in the place not of prophets, but of speaking God's word to a corporate body. And we all have the same responsibility to go forth and share the word of the Lord, but in a public manner, you know, to call the people to repentance, to remind the people of the word of God, their Christian duties, and so forth and so on. So we just want to mention a little bit about how the prophets functioned as servants called by God. And, and here's, here's a couple verses. We're going to put them up real quickly. Jeremiah 1.7, But the Lord said unto me, Same not, Say not I'm, that I'm a child. Don't say that. Just like Moses didn't want the job, Jonah didn't want the job, Jeremiah didn't want the job. And they had excuses. And God says, Don't say that you're young. For thou shalt, and I capitalize this, go. Go to all the people that I shall send you. And whatsoever I command you, you shall speak. So keep that word in mind. Go. Amos 7.14. Amos said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said unto me, Go, go, prophecy unto my people Israel. Isaiah 6, 8. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will what? Who will go for us? And then, then I said, Here am I, Lord, send me. So what is it? that you believe God would have you to do? What is, is on your heart in terms of ministry? The question is, will you go? Will you do it? No matter, no matter where it may take you, no matter how difficult it may be. Turn to the, the book of Ezekiel, chapter 2. Watch my time here. And he said it to me after this dramatic vision. Don't look for one like the kind that Ezekiel had in chapter 1. Because you probably wouldn't survive if you saw it. And he said unto me, Son of man, stand upon your feet. And I will speak unto you. And the Spirit entered into me when he spoke unto me. And set me upon my feet. 
that I heard him who spoke unto me. And he said, Son of man, I send you to the children of Israel. Here's your calling. Here's what I want you to do. Here's where I want you to go. To the children of Israel. To, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me even unto this very day. For they are an impudent children and stiff-hearted. I do send thee unto them, and thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God. And, and they, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that there has been a prophet among them. Regardless of their, their response, he's telling Ezekiel, they are going to know that there was a prophet among them. And you, son of man, don't be afraid of them, just like he told Jeremiah. Neither be afraid of their words, because they're going to come at you with their words. Though briars and thorns be with you, though you dwell among scorpions out in the desert, don't be afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks though they be a rebellious house. This made me think of the life of Paul. And then he says, And you shall speak my words unto them, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear not hear, for they are most rebellious. But thou, son of man, hear what I say unto you. Be not thou rebellious like that rebellious house. Open thy mouth and eat what I will give you. I will put my words in your mouth. And you're to take them to heart. And you're to deliver them to the people just as I spoke them to you. So prophets spoke the words of God boldly in the face of great opposition. But sometimes the prophets acted out their messages. And you've probably read about these strange events in the Bible. We call this prophetic symbolism. So God would tell them, here's what I want you to do. So in case the people are more visual learners than listeners, they will get the message. So they communicated not only by their words, but by symbolic acts, by drama, and by one-act plays. Jeremiah hit his underwear on the rock in Jeremiah chapter 13 for a reason. Go read it. Isaiah went naked, naked and barefoot for three years. Three years. Ezekiel cut off his hair and burned a third of it. Struck a third with the sword and cast a third to the wind in Ezekiel 5. These people would have been locked up today. Well, maybe not. They did other things that were really weird. Ezekiel had to make his own bread. And if you go to Sprouts, you'll see Ezekiel's bread. And it's supposed to be healthy. It is anything but healthy. It was a sign of judgment. But the prophets addressed the social ills of their times. Wish there were some here today, right? Prophets among us, like in this fashion, maybe not. But they, they addressed society. And that would include the mistreatment of the poor, the neglect of widows and orphans, the neglect of the resident alien in Israel, the oppression by the upper class, the oppression by rulers and corrupt priests, political corruption, dishonest business practices, weighted scales, plotting evil, adultery, idolatry, immorality. And the list goes on and on and on. There was nothing that they didn't address. Boldly. Amos 5.24 says, Let judgment or justice run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. So they preached justice, true justice, as seen from God. Amos 8.4, Hear this, you who trample the needy 
and destroy the poor of the land. Hear this. And he goes on with his message. Isaiah 1.17 Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. This is God speaking through these people. Jeremiah 22.13 Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness. Who gets rich by filthy mammon. That's what he's saying. In his upper rooms by injustice. Jeremiah the prophet. One author put it this way. When the king, an official, either because of apathy or inaccessibility, stepped out of their expected role, the prophets stepped in. And they, they, they spoke the word of God. In one of the great concerns of the prophets was the corruption of the sacrifices which were vital to Israel to bring them back into a favorable relationship with God when they sinned, all foreshadowing what Christ would eventually do, the whole sacrificial system. And the priesthood, the priesthood became corrupt. We saw that with Eli and his sons. Now, the corruption was not always the way they performed the sacrifices. Sometimes it was. Or what they offered. But their heart attitude in doing it and their willingness to obey God. For Samuel 15, 22, Samuel said to Saul, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken to listen with the ear and with the heart more than the fat of rams. Now, how many people, how many people go to church as a sense of a duty? That's it. They go to church almost ritualistically, performing their so-called sacrifice to God, their worship. But their heart is far from them. They're, they're not obeying the Lord God. To obey is better than showing up at church on Sunday morning. Psalm 51, 15, O Lord, open my lips, and my, my mouth will show forth thy praise, for you desire not sacrifice, else I would give it. That's the easy thing. Come to church, show up, give some money. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God, what he really wants, are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, that you will not despise. And as a matter of fact, so many of the prophets, when they would come, the people would come and they wouldn't be in a right relationship with God. God was tired of it. He says, you're wearying me. You're wearing me out with your sacrifices. And he actually reached the point where he despised them. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Whoa! That's a rebuke. Give ear unto the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. You have become like Sodom and Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or lambs or of goats, when you come to peer before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain obla oblations. Incense is an abomination to me. Your new moons, your Sabbaths, your assemblies, all your feast things, days. Oh, I, I, cannot, I cannot take them is what God is saying. It's iniquity. Even your solemn gatherings. When you spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Though you make many prayers, I will not hear you because your hands are full of blood. Wash. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless, as we quoted before. Plead for the widow. Come now, reason. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, though they be red like crimson, 
this shall be his will. It's amazing. He starts off calling them Sodom and Gomorrah, telling them God is sick of all your religious activities. Repent. Come, hear me. Reason with me. And I'll completely forgive you. That was the pardon of the prophets. Freeman says the prophets insisted that the people unite their day-to-day moral conduct with their religious observances. In other words, if you're going to be a church-going Christian, live it out Monday through Saturday. If, if not, don't show up on church on Sunday. Stay home and just keep living like the world. Basically, that's what he's saying. And you know what? Jesus said the same thing, Matthew 5.23. If you bring your gift to the altar, what's that? Your worship. And you remember that your brother has something against you, then leave your gift before the altar. Go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come to church and worship. No different. Same message. Prophets were God's watchmen on the walls. Isaiah 62, 6. I have set a watchman upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day or night. You that make mention of the Lord, don't be silent. Ezekiel 3, 17, Son of man, I have made you a watchman to the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. That's what the watchmen did. They were out in their watchtowers. When they saw the enemy coming, when they saw a threat coming, they were to warn the people. So I want to close with some practical truths from the prophets. Number one, they were servants. They were the servants of God. Every Christian is called to be a servant, a bond slave. That's how Paul described himself, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. So we're to serve God, not ourselves. We're to serve others in the name of God. Second, they were faithful to, to, to God. Every Christian is called to be faithful in little things and in big things. The Bible says he who is faithful in little will also be faithful in much. You want a bigger ministry? Start right where you're at, serving in any little way that you can. Third, the prophets were set apart from the world. Every Christian is called to reject the things of this world that would take them away from God or compromise their testimony. Everything. Everything. We're, we're to be, be separate, saith the Lord. We're, we're to be a holy nation, just as Israel was called to be. Fourth, they proclaim God's word to the people. That's what the prophets did. Without compromise. Every Christian is called to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ and to proclaim his truth. Listen, we haven't been called to give our political opinions. We've been called to share God's truth with people. The world has enough political opinions. And lastly, they understood the times in which they lived. And every Christian is to be aware of the times in which we find ourselves. And we are living in very evil times. First Chronicles 12.32 And the children of Issachar, which were men that had understanding of the times, they discerned the times. To know what Israel ought to do, the heads of them were two hundred, and all their brethren were at their commandment. So my, my question is, do you understand the times in which you are living? Do you understand the times in which you are going to be bringing up your children? We live in Canaan, folks. America has become like the Canaanites. I talked about that last week. Teach your children well from the time that they're little, to put on the whole armor of God that they may be able to stand in the evil day. Romans 13, 11, and do this, Paul said, knowing the time, 
Do you know the time? And now it's high time to wake out of sleep. Spiritual slumber. For now our salvation, deliverance, is nearer than when we first believed. And that's true. You might see Jesus tomorrow. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry, partying, or drunkenness, or lewdness, or lust, or strife, or envy. Those are all the sins of the flesh. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Because it's going to come at you, right? You can't go very far without running into temptation in this world of one sort or another. Some of the, some of the younger people here, you're very isolated, man. You're growing up in a greenhouse. But I'm telling you what, that greenhouse is going to fall apart pretty soon. It's going to be gone because you're going to grow up. You're not going to be in a greenhouse anymore. You're going to have to face the evil head on. Hopefully you'll have the word of God that has been instilled in you. Listen, folks, all the Hebrew prophets have come and gone. All of them. They have fulfilled their calling. But we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, living in this wicked day, we have to walk in their shoes. We have to walk in their shoes. We have to fulfill our calling. Don't be silent. Don't be timid. Don't let your shyness keep you from sharing the word of God with people who need it. Don't let your pride keep you from sharing the word of God with people who need it. We are God's spokespeople. Father, thank you for this word. Clear message from the prophets. Thank you for each and every one of them who've gone on to glory long ago, received their reward. Help us to be faithful like they were, to serve you like they did, to speak for you like they did, to understand the times in which we are living, to be valiant, to be courageous, to offer people comfort and pardon as they would turn from their sins to the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn from every idol in their life, keeping them from Christ. True repentance. Bless each and every one here. God, I pray you'd bring out many on Wednesday night to pray together. In Jesus' name, amen.